I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to AusBiz Live from our Brangaroo Studios. Uh, Thanks for your company for the next hour for the call. 10 stocks picked by you. I put them to our expert panel. We do it all in one hour. Let's bring in the team for today. Michael Wayne from Mandadium Financial. Michael, good to see you. Thanks for having me, Koshi. Ready for a big show. Yes, well, always a big show when you're up against Carl Kapalinga from Thick Markets. Uh, the two of you lock horns in a very polite way, usually, which is good. Carl, how are you over in the West there? Well, thanks, Koshi. Good afternoon. Good morning to everybody over here on, on the better side of the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. It started already, Michael. Only 30 <laughs> seconds in. And it's the uh, the comparison of uh, WA, uh, better lifestyle, and also carrying the country on its shoulders with the GST. <laughs> All right. We've got that out of the way. Uh, let's take a look at the companies we're looking in this half hour. Uh, Webjet Index Rio. Magnus Energy uh, Technologies and also Block. We had uh, Zip as our stock of the day yesterday, so it'd be good to catch up with the uh, uh, the other buy now, pay later, or Block is more than just buy now, pay later. Of course, it has Square in it. Um, stock of the day, thought we'd take a look at Telstra. Uh, UBS, the, uh, the broker, uh, has upgraded its take on the telco uh, to a buy rating from a neutral position. Uh, Telstra uh, shares went up with total gains uh, rising 10% for the year to date. Telstra shares. Uh, the broker says, UBS says, the upgrade reflects market sentiment, which is relatively rational on Telstra leading the market on price rises. Of course, the 1st of July, uh, Telstra share pri- uh, Telstra's prices went up 7.5%. Uh, the telecommunications giant said that was because of inflation. Um, I'm not sure whether Telstra's costs went up that much, but uh, is it one of the companies that um, uh, the RBA has been targeting, saying that they're putting their prices up at the higher end of inflation, and that will just make inflation stickier uh, to come? Look at that Telstra share price near a five-year high at the moment. Um, Carl, what do you think? Do you agree with UBS's upgrade? And what do you think of the Telstra share price? Uh, Do I agree with the upgrade? Well, look, they're they're doing very well. I mean, it's a very defensive part of the economy. Um, You can get away with increasing prices by 7% and probably not get too much um, uh, whiplash from from the client base. Um, So, in that regard, uh, inflation is a good thing for them. Hopefully, 
they, they can't do it next year and the in the year after that. Um, so maybe this is a, a bit of a bit of a super hit uh, to the bottom line. As far as the underlying business of Telstra, well, there's actually more growth in Telstra. It's more of a growth-oriented business than it has been probably for the last 20 or 30 years, Goshi. So um, if you look at what the brokers are saying, and these are, these are not my numbers, these are Thompson Reuters numbers, they reckon we're looking at about 8% compound annual growth rate for Telstra, which if you go back, you know, I've looked at, I've analysed Telstra, I've been in the industry for over 20 years, so I've analysed Telstra many times over that time frame. I don't think I've ever seen it with an 8% uh, compound annual growth rate for the next three is so that's quite extraordinary itself um, traditionally investors have been drawn to Telstra because of that uh, quote-unquote high dividend yield which isn't as high as it historically probably has been it's around about four percent fully frank now but you know it's still very very attractive and reasonable growth the only thing you need to do then is go uh, to the next line which is well how much am I paying for that growth how much am I paying for that rather attractive dividend yield and it's trading on about 26 times this year's earnings which is not cheap at all. Um, historically, it's it, it's about par though. To be fair, looking forward, um, you trade it. You're paying about 22 times earnings for the as, as a median for the next three years. So to, to boil it down, eight percent growth, which is about the market's average growth for a PE of about 22, which is well above the market's average PE. The market's average PE right now is about 15. So it's hard for me to see value um, in the Telstra shares despite the growth. So yes, great growth. Nice dividend, but I think you're paying too much for it here. The chart is good, however. Oh, see, is- I was about to say, <laughs> you know, when you said I can't do this, I thought Carl hasn't mentioned the chart yet. Well, Which- I like to, like to, like to talk about the growth opportunity. So for yeah. me, I, I need to see earnings. I love growing earnings. That's what makes the price goes. That's what makes the price go from bottom left to top right. Yeah. So that that is where I do like to start. I want to then get it at a good price. I want to get those earnings at a good price. I'm not seeing that, and no. then I'll, you know then I'll check the chart. Right. Um, if I've got a great company and a great chart, tick tick tick. Off right. we go. I've got a great company. I've got a very good chart. Look, I could be. I'm a holder. I'm a holder on Telstra. I don't think I'm a buyer. Um, just on that valuation, the chart okay. is very solid. It's starting to turn over a little bit though, so um, it's not all um, green light from here. I would say be careful if it starts to trade below, say 420. Then you might want to just take a little bit off the table because it has a, had a pretty good run. That's how you started this discussion. Um, but as yeah. long as we stay above it, I think okay. Okay, um, Michael, there is theory that companies like Telstra, when they report uh, in August, that it will surprise on the upside because they've taken advantage on their margins, mm. taken advantage of inflation. I, I remember back in the old days when inflation was just rampant, okay? So this was back in the, you know, the 90s, and you know, I'm old enough to remember the, the OPEC crisis back yeah. in 70s and 80s. You could put your prices up 10% and everyone was conditioned to go, oh, yeah, oh, no, well, that's fair enough, inflation's high. Even if your cost didn't go up 10%, you could get away with a 10% increase. Are we seeing that a bit now? Because 7.5% price rise for the 1st of July is based on the inflation rate at the end of last calendar year and is sort of way above the 5.6% that was the most recent. I think you're certainly seeing companies like Telstra who can get away with it take advantage of it. And, and the Reserve Bank's calling them out. And this is the Reserve Bank is so scared of inflation expectations. Because yeah. once inflation expectations, that's one of the biggest contributors to inflation. Once you're in an inflation cycle, it's yep. really what the, people's expectations of inflation that really drive inflation going forward. So 
their whole agenda, the RBA, is to really manage inflation expectations. Because as soon as, like you say, people start to get in their head that 5%, 10% increases are normal, yeah. then it just feeds on itself. People accept it, and that's yeah. how you really get these inflationary spirals happening. So it's definitely something to keep a, an eye on. Can you blame these companies? I mean, they're true capitalists in the end of the day, looking yeah, to extract as much value as they can for shareholders. Got to look after shareholders. Which, extract. Well, well, extract. <laughs> what a word, extract. It's, I love um, it. You know, garbage. but this is what they, they do. They, they, well, Gab, well, this is what we're talking about now. Is, well, the problem with Telstra. Do you get your own back by being a shareholder? The problem for Telstra is they've had 10 years of earnings in decline, pretty much, right. until recently. Um, so you had earnings in decline, you had dividends per share in decline. They re-engineered so their cost base. They've re-engineered their Andy, cost base. And the previous MD had two five-year plans That's and right. it off. So now they're in the recovery phase where for the first time in a long time, they're able to see some earnings growth coming through. They're able yep. to see some dividend per share growth coming through in the market. In some, to some extent, got excited by that because for the first time in a long time, this low-risk business in a high-risk environment is yep. actually offering something that is relatively attractive compared to the last decade for this business. So it kind of makes sense why it's trading at 22 times earnings. I've been negative on Telstra for as long as I've been in the industry, yep. and I'm not overly excited about it now, but I can see it's why a, a lot of people are. High. It's at a five-year high, and I can see why the brokers and the big investment banks are all starting to get pretty optimistic on it, because you can see that they're doing good things in the mobile market. They still dominate that market. Yep. Market shares holding up very well, if not growing, um, and they're able to get through these high prices. There's also talk of uh, monetizing some of the infraco assets as well, which can give them another sort of boost when it comes to earnings. But then in the saying all of that, I'm more a hold on Telstra as well as it's doing. There are still risks um, in terms of wages for them. There's obviously ongoing risks with some of those emerging players in the mobile network. And it's pretty expensive despite the earnings and right. revenue growth that's coming through and some of those dividend per share growth. So I'm more of a, a neutral hold on it. It's slowly but surely grinding high, but it's not that exciting. And I do think that when the worm does turn for the broader market, there'll be other pockets that do a lot better. Because although that chart looks very good, it's really only creeped 10% higher in 12 months. Right, right. It's not like it's, you know, gone Is this an unconscious bias from professional investors, <laughs> do you think, that they've it, been it's, around look, so it will, long? It will hold up well in the portfolio relative to other things yeah. if the market struggles. But 4% dividend yield relative to history is not that attractive. High multiples. Right. Um, it's not going to. enough. It's not going to fall through the floor. I don't think. But I don't think it's going to take off necessarily either. Yeah. It'll hold up an end in your portfolio. Interesting discussion, though. That's good. All right. Uh, let's get to the stocks that you want us to have a look at. First one of the day. Peter wants a view on Webjet. Pete says share price has fallen from a high of seven dollars seventy end of May. End of financial year profit taking. Was it maybe us? Us, Peter. Uh, with economy slowing around the world, Web may face consumer headwinds for the B2C segment. The B2B, however, is still expected to grow double digit. Obviously, Peter's right across uh, Webjet, and by the sound of it, uh, a shareholder himself. Um, Michael, what do you think of Webjet? So we are holders of Webjet. It's in our top 10 holdings in our managed fund as well. A lot of our clients hold it. Yeah. Um, it's a business that we sort of bought as a recovery play for, from COVID, probably like a lot of people were drawn to that area as a potential gold mine if things were to sort of get back to yep. normal. And that's somewhat played out. Um, however, we do continue to like the long-term story for Webjet. 
the recent updates show total transaction volumes as well as EBITDA came in ahead of expectations. Um, despite that, the share price has really been in this consolidation phase. Uh, however, we do think that, you know, over time, as is pointed out by the viewer, that there is a very good chance that this business to business um, operation that they've managed to get going continues to grow at very attractive rates. And effectively, what it is, is it's a marketplace for travel related companies to get access to different deals, et cetera, that are out there. Uh, and that's been going bank gangbusters. Um, there is a target for the company to reach 10 billion business to business sales by FY28. So if they can pull that off, then that's significant upside for them. The B2C, so there's just the regular Webjet that most people will be familiar with, has been doing just fine. There obviously are some fears about the consumer's position going forward and whether they can maintain the spending that's been occurring on travel and it's been a, a serious recovery. But all in all, Webjet has emerged from the COVID environment in a far stronger competitive position. Their cost base is a lot lower and their margins are a lot higher. So we think this is a much higher quality business than it was three, five years right. ago. And and better than Flight Centre, which is more bricks and mortar and yeah. the Hello World. Well, Flight Centre has been trying to become less bricks and mortar over time. Same with Hello World. But Webjet's got the luxury, I suppose, of being established in the web age, yeah. uh, the dot-com age, and it's never really had or ne never had the bricks and mortar operations. Yeah. So its business has been a, set up like an this. An accommodation site as Yeah, well, they've is, got a few yeah. different things, but the two core are basically the Webjet yeah. online travel agent and then this Webbeds, which is the business to business type operation. Yeah. And that's yeah. seeing tremendous growth. So we're comfortable to, to hold it. I mean, I'm in no rush to it, really buy it. Right. Just because the it's ha look, it has looked lackluster for some time now, but happy to sit on it. And if it does continue to pull back at some level, it'll probably be worth looking right. to add. But we we hold a decent chunk of it. Okay, uh, Carl, what do you think of uh, Webjet? Of course, they would have been a beneficiary because travel agents get a percentage of your airline ticket and airline tickets, as we know, have been outrageously expensive for about the last six or nine months. But the latest inflation figures, uh, you look at the breakdown for last month, uh, the biggest fall was in the cost of airfares and, and travel. So yeah, no, we're coming back to reality. Yes, I think that's probably explaining the recent uh, decline in the in the chart. Uh, but look, it, it has had a, a wonderful run uh, before that. It's still in a very solid uh, longer term trend, even though it has had a, a short term pullback. Um, it's certainly, I mean, just re I don't want to reiterate everything Michael has said, but everything he said, I totally agree with. Um, so I won't add, add anything to that. The only thing I, I might add to it is... Um, yeah, look, OTA, which is the online uh, travel agent, so that's the one most of us are probably familiar with, might get an unexpected boost from Taylor Swift, uh, which I wonder <laughs> if that will... Yeah. That was, uh, was my daughter. We booked that last week. So that'll fall in inside June 30. Right. Um, because I know that was chaos uh, yes. because we're traveling from, from Perth. So I'm taking my daughter in February. Oh my God, gosh, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, the stress, mate, the stress. Hey, I, 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 I do. I've got a bunch of grandkids who, yeah. remi it reminded me, this is again how old I am, of when the when the monkeys came out and the Beatles. <laughs> it's so, so cute. And her mother was complaining to me about how stressed she was and, how she was a nightmare. And I said, sounds like what you were like when the Spice Girls came out to tour. So yeah, it's, yeah. I just love it. It's so nice. Well, 
So we, I mean, I, I, as soon as we, we waited on online for ages to get the tickets, yep. and I probably should have got the accommodation in advance, but we wanted to see if we got the tickets first. But because you can get um, through them, you know, refundable yep. um, uh, accommodation anyway, probably should have done in advance. But what I can tell you, and this is all anecdotally my experience, I, I literally in front of my eyes saw rooms go from uh, $300 a night to $500 a night to $800 a night to $1,000 a night, <laughs> um, literally in front of and my eyes. And you did eyes. it all through Webjet? Uh, I won't say which one we did it through, but it was uh, it was very yes, it was that sort of. It wasn't just me. I'm sure there were many many other parents online doing the exact same. Anyway, it's all anecdotal, but that I do think that will will probably play a small part inside June 30 into into maybe beating some some uh, estimates here. Wow, Look, I digress. The the Taylor Swift investment effect. The Taylor Swift effect. Yep. It was right. absolutely massive. Um, anyway, look, I'm just better get back to the chart. I, I think it's a holding, <laughs> a bit like Michael. Um, the, the valuation is stretched for me. I like the business. I like the growth. The valuation, again, like Telstra, is too stretched for me to get too excited. And I think it's reflected in the chart. I'm a happy holder. Um, it's one we have been long. I, every time I've come on, uh, Osby's, go check the tapes and, and the call with you. I've, I've called it a buy, even to my last spot back in May. Now, it has pulled back. So I, I, what, I, what I'm telling clients in my Tuesday webinars is to take some off the table. Okay, So we will not be running with a full position on Webjet from here on in. The next point to take some off the table, I believe, is if it closes beneath 650. So we've got about 50 cents worth of downside and your upside is wherever it ends up going. So that's how we're playing this one. Okay. All right. Uh, our next stock, Daniel wants a view, um, uh, Carl, on uh, one of your local companies. Yeah, founded sure in, is, yeah. in the Pilbara in 1980. Uh, Index, uh, mining equipment and technology company uh, operating yeah. around, around the world. I drive past their office uh, a couple of times a week, taking my kids to various after-school sporting events. So um, yes, definitely uh, locally based. Uh, so these guys do... Well, it's a mining technology company, and their uh, their motto is sort of uh, they go from helping you um, uh, visualize the 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 find the deposit, define the deposit, so how much you've got in the ground, and then mine the deposit. So find, define, and mine. It's this sort of three pronged approach. Um, so a lot of uh, technology, a lot of uh, data collection, interpretation, even a little bit of hashtag AI in there, Koshi, no. to help uh, you know obviously users make better decisions about um, their, their mining activities. Uh, users, of course, you, you, anywhere from your junior, junior miners all the way up to you, you know your, your biggest names in the business. Um, I think it's quite a defensive part of the mining sector. So if you if you are looking for some exposure in the mining sector in your portfolio, I think this is a really defensive way to do it because you're selling the, the picks and shovels to the miners. But having said that, it is still cyclical because their, um, their sales depend on how much money ultimately can be raised from us investors uh, by, by mainly your junior explorers because they're the ones doing the most activity. And that does ebb and flow a little bit. And that's it's kind of uh, ebbing at the moment, not flowing. And that's why the share price has come down. So if you're wondering why well, there's a bit of a mining boom going on, well, there has been a significant pullback in spending from those junior explorers, particularly because costs are so high, because they can't get drilling rigs, they can't get staff to be on those rigs. So a lot of them have said, you know what, let's just put some of that on hold for the time being. So whether that's spending that's not going to be there or it's just delayed is yet to be seen. That's some of the uncertainty in the price. Otherwise, I talked about the company. I like the company. I actually think it's 
reasonably cheap here. Um, I did the valuation, I've got a fair value target of over $2 using really conservative estimates. So that's probably about 10, 12% upside, and you're getting a dividend yield in the meantime of about 2%, nothing special. Uh, but you know, just looking on the company and the valuation, I'd go buy, but then I get to the chart and I say, best I can do is a hold. The chart's not a complete train wreck. There's a bit of demand coming back into the system. I know it's had a tough time, but it's not yet a buy for me. So I'm going to go hold. If it starts to trade above $2, I know that's getting close to my valuation. I might be interested, but it's a bit of a long shot until then. Okay. Uh, Michael, MDEC? Yeah, look, it's an interesting business. Um, great sort of technology, but as Carl points out, the mining cycle, particularly for small caps, really in Australia and Canada, has been a lot softer than it was sort of 12, 18 months ago. Um, looking out to like Southeast Asia, Latin America, that's actually still quite strong. Um, but the business itself, the balance sheet looks fine. Um, it's just one of those mining services companies which tend to get caught between a rock and a hard place. And at the moment, it just seems like the worm's turning against them a little bit. Right. So I would be careful and potentially wait for, for things to improve on that exploration front. But aside from that, I think Carl summarised it pretty pretty nicely. Hold for you. Um, I'm probably going to go a sell at right. the moment. Um, again, it's there's, look, there's so many companies on the market. It's hard to to see how you can include this one in your portfolio right now, just right. when you know the momentum is really against them. And the problem is if you can't raise money, you can't afford to employ people, can't do all the drilling, it's just a tough environment for a business like this. But they do have some great technology, been around for a long period of time, and clearly what they're offering the market does work, it's just the wrong environment okay. for them. All right, um, our next stop may be one of its clients, uh, Rio Tinto, the... Uh, uh, one of the world's biggest resource stocks, Michael. Giddy wants a view on how you see Rio at the moment. Yeah, so Rio is an interesting one. They've historically had a very large focus on iron ore. Yep. I think over sort of 55, 60% of their revenues coming from iron ore. Then they've had some aluminium, some copper and some lithium. Um, I think copper at the moment's around sort of 9% of their revenue. They're looking to get that up to 27% of their revenue by FY25. And that's actually part of the business I like. I think that the growing exposure to copper is probably a commodity that makes sense from my standpoint over the medium to longer term. The problem is I'm less excited about the outlook for iron ore. Um, they do also have a few different investments going on in the lithium space. So what we can see here from Rio is they are trying to diversify um, their revenue streams away from, from yeah. iron ore. Um, Which that's a real focus of the company, is that? That's their right. Managing director was saying that that's really their agenda for the Yeah, next so they've of years. got this um, particular mine called Oya Toya. I struggle to say it every time, but basically that's Oya Toya. That's where ninety percent of their <laughs> their copper revenue um, is likely to come from over the next five years. And they could, there's a lot of site visits that all the big analysts have been doing to that site, and they're really trying to get that one up and running and, and delivering for them um, as pretty productive as possible. But look, overall, don't mind Rio Tinto, um, but prefer some of the pure copper plays at the moment, right. mainly Sandfire, now that Osminus doesn't right. exist. So what do you have? Hold I'm going to hold around. on Rio. Right. Okay. Um, Rio v BHP? Probably Rio at the moment, just right. given they have that tailwind, growing tailwind towards copper. Right. It's okay. all dependent on the copper price. So take your guess on what happens there. But yep. we do like the outlook for copper. Basically, you need four times as much copper for electric vehicles than you do for the old-fashioned combustion engine. Copper is also a major input in all different battery storage technologies. Okay. Um, and the reality is copper is becoming harder and harder to find at, at, at cheap prices. Okay. Um, 
So that's an area that we think has mm. makes sense in terms of the thematic and the storyline. Whether it comes to fruition remains to be seen. Yeah, but interesting. Okay, Carl, Rio. Yeah, look, I think it will come to fruition. Looking to double their copper output by the end of the decade, and they'll they'll do that by th throwing thirteen billion dollars at Agoshi. Wow. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's that's the power of Rio, isn't it? But they do have some great projects. So you need to have the stuff in the ground, know where it is, and then obviously be able to raise the capital to 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 realise it. Um, but they've also got a big. Um, copper deposit Kennecott in the USA. Uh, but I don't think you, you should just focus on Rio just for the copper. Um, they've got some lithium cred as well, that Rincon lithium project, um, which could be a big one for them. But ultimately, look, let's face it, it's still more than two thirds an iron ore company. So um, I think Michael and I have talked a lot of long-term stuff. For the people that are maybe a bit shorter term, iron ore is probably the big elephant in the room. And then we need to understand what's going to happen with China and whether we get a knock your socks off um, range of stimulus measures or really keep your socks on range of stimulus measures. And so far, the socks are very much on. And I think um, if you look at BHP, Rio, Fortescue, they're just in this holding pattern now on the charts yeah. where they've had that pullback. I don't know if you remember, oh, you will remember, Koshi, we talked yeah. about it at the start of the year when they, when, when um, obviously BHP hit 50, Rio hit yep. 120, whatever. And I said, look, just take some profit, take some off the table. And I think that's where you are. We always take a third off um, when we see a signal to do so. So I think you've, you've still got some skin in the game, um, whether it's here or BHP, I don't mind. I, I'm probably, I'm with my uh, with Michael just leaning towards maybe Rio if you had to pick one of the two okay. um, I don't think it's a sell I don't think it's a buy it kind of leaves me in the middle with the holes um, uh, if look let's see what happens in China if the prices start to push up on Rio I'll give you a number uh, here if it starts to trade above say 118 119 um, then it then it looks mm. like it's on again but okay. until then because uh, the China stimulus uh, traditionally has been property um, construction and infrastructure, this yep. stimulus looks as though it's small business uh, and services and bailing out property companies rather than infrastructure and building, unlike the US, which is big infrastructure, is that stimulus? Yeah, well, so, so far, so far. Mm. All they've done so far is just tinker around the edges yeah. of a few um, of their key interest rates <clears> and then by a small amount. But, you know, there's there's, yeah. there's always that hope that it's going to expand. It's very it's, it's very hard for them because you just have so many of these uh, zombie municipalities that just yeah. cannot possibly borrow any more money no. to finance the next big infrastructure project. Um, so they're going to have to find a very clever way yeah. to stimulate demand really at the uh, consumer side of things uh, to get things going again. Yeah, and whether that translates into uh, more steel production for iron ore manufacturers. Um, and next up, Jonathan wants a view, Carl, on Magnus Energy Technologies. They're the lithium battery technology company with manufacturing plants in the US and Australia, but have an interest in a graphite project in Tanzania as well. Yeah, look, a super interesting bunch of stocks we've got today on the call. If I say so myself, this is one of the very interesting ones on the list because, again, they're going for that sort of vertically integrated attack on the battery technology space. So they've got a, a graphite project in Tanzania, uh, which is a very uh, big resource, very high grade uh, NPV. And I didn't, I didn't check out what the metrics of the NPV, but I'm just quoting the company here, $1.2 US billion net present value of that project, Goshi. Wow. And, and 
get this. Magnus has only got a market cap of 173 million, so ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching right there. Um, and then you get to the next part of the uh, value chain, which is um, actually producing the anode materials, so the components that they'll sell uh, to other battery manufacturers. And then they're trying to go into battery manufacturing themselves, or actually they have actually started producing batteries over there at their IM3NY uh, project in New York, um, and they have also a, a small um, ownership of, a, of another um, cathode technology company. So on paper, you, you look at, you know, let's face it, if we, if we were talking about this on the call a couple of years ago, it, the chart would have been bottom left, top right, triple rocket ship emojis, you know. <laughs> but uh, we, 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 are, we are not in that environment. No. Hence, the, hence the 173 million market cap versus the you know 1.3 PV. So it's one of those where I think you want to keep an eye on it. There's lots of good stuff happening, um, but the chart ultimately will determine whether it's an, there's an investment case there. So I think it's one, forget the fundamentals, just look at the chart. And I know people who know the story very well will probably just throw something at their screen. But at the end of the day, if nobody cares about the fundamentals, Koshi, nobody's going yeah. to be buying it. And it's not going to go up. So look, buy, hold, sell. It, let's face it, it was a, I think it was $1.50. Now it's about 15 cents, right? So uh, I think you could go hold on the basis that it can't get worse. It still can. But I just think there's a there's a little bit of a buy, a little bit of buying coming in the tiniest smidgen. That's enough to get me to hold. Okay. Um, it's not a buy. No, it is no, no way is it a buy. So many things need to happen on the chart for it to become a buy, but I'm going to go a hold on the basis okay. of the uh, incredible upside. All right, Michael. Yeah, one of these exciting companies trying to take advantage of the electric vehicle boom that's going to potentially play out in years to come. Um, they did recently sign a agreement with Tesla to provide them with active anode materials um, mm -hmm. from 2025 onwards. I think it was in the range of say 15,000 tonnes up to 30,000 tonnes. However, it is contingent on them meeting certain milestones along the way. So there's no guarantee that that contract will go ahead and that the revenues that they're hoping to get will come through. So there's obviously a large element of risk, but at least they know they've got that there if they can deliver. Um, so that, that is one interesting thing. Otherwise, again, Carl summed it up pr pretty well. It's not a business that I was too familiar with at all. Um, it's not looking very good on the chart, so that sort of filters it out of the way pretty quickly. Um, and it doesn't really have huge amounts of revenue, if any, coming through at the moment. So from my standpoint, it's in the ultra high risk category. And again, I would rather look elsewhere. Right, so you, you'd sell? I'm gonna go a sell. Yep, okay. All right, what about Block? Uh, Arba wants a view on Block. Used to be uh, used to be Square, the, um, the small business Basically, digital payments uh, group then bought Afterpay here in Australia, uh, rebranded as Block uh, Globally, uh, sort of to reflect a, a broader financial services uh, thematic um, based in the United States. Yes. Only listed out here because of the purchase of Afterpay. Yeah, so Afterpay shareholders, I think, got about 37 cents or something for, for each unit or 37 units for each unit um, yep. so yeah I think that equates to about 37 bucks 38 bucks for what Afterpay would be worth if it was still listed today your shares um, so yeah obviously it's come back a long way since the heady days of the peaks of Afterpay but this is obviously yep. a very different business now I mean yep. Afterpay only it's a makes global up business. it's a global business listed overseas um, it's a 
business where Afterpay really only makes up a fraction of its overall revenue. I know for a while there, and I'm not sure recently, that Block wasn't even updating the market on the performance of Afterpay. But their underlying business, which is mainly the payment systems, the, the back end reporting that goes with that, um, has been doing very well. It's growing sort of 25, 26% per annum. Um, and the market was, look, 2022 was the year where markets started to focus in on old school traditional metrics like profitability. Yep. Um, and I think Block and Square sort of took note of that and they really have focused on cutting costs and they've got operational prof, um, profitability up, I think about to 50 million, which was a big turnaround from the year before. Um, so that's an encouraging sign for those more traditional type investors. They've got one particular um, product and the name sort of eludes me at the moment, the Cash App segment, um, which is growing very, very quickly at sort of 52%. Um, that's excluding the Bitcoin related arm to it. So oh. look, there are definitely some green shoots with this company. It's still on a very lofty multiple um, compared to your more traditional numbers. Um, however, again, it's it's still probably in a space where the market's a little bit nervous on at the moment. So for that reason, I'm happy to give it a hold, but not a, a buy. I think it's a okay. quality tech business with a global footprint growing at very impressive rates, um, but it's probably still not the right environment for them just yet. Okay, Carl? Yeah, I mean, that last sentence, global tech business, great growth. Um, it, it, I think in the right environment, this can do very well. And don't forget, it's a very much a cons uh, con consumer or consumption focused business because they are providing uh, your, your, your payment services to businesses, but they also uh, imply, uh, do a lot of HR stuff for businesses, really holistic approach, a, a bit of a, um, a competitor to zero in some respects as well. Uh, but I, I think it's something you want to keep an eye on. Don't discount this one simply because Oh, you go, oh, block equals afterpay and nobody cares about afterpay or BNPL anymore. That's a very, very sort of shallow way, simplistic way of looking at this business. This is the closest thing we have to a proper NASDAQ stock listed on the ASX. Uh, and we know that the NASDAQ is already in a, a wonderful, wonderful bull market. And I think it's only just a matter of time until that spreads out to some of these other um, types of stocks, especially if the US economy uh, or global economy the global economy doesn't do as bad as many people have predicted. Um, the valuation, uh, let's talk about the valuation very quickly, um, 39 times this year's earnings. It's it's growing. It's, it's got it's got a, a three-year compound annual growth rate of 30%, Koshi, 30% wow. per annum over the next three years. So for, uh, f sub 40 times earnings is not expensive at all for this company mm. in, in itself, and it's certainly not expensive for a NASDAQ company. Um, Looking forward though, because of that PE, your, your, your median PE of the next three years is more like 23. So you're getting way, way more than the market's growth for not that much more than the market's PE. My valuation therefore suggests it is actually quite cheap. I think we, we could see easily uh, $120 a share on this. So that's um, significantly higher than where it is, um, but I'm, I wouldn't buy it because the chart's not telling me to do so yet. It's not far away. It's a lot closer, certainly, than Magnus Energy. And it's one that I'll continue to monitor in my Tuesday webinars. Everybody's welcome to join me there. But I would say probably on a move through, say, $70, we'd start to pick a few up. We're right. not going to go all in on this one, but we'll start to pick a few up. If it keeps going up, we'll pick up a few more. Okay. So hold for you at the moment, though, if you're in it. Absolutely. Perfect. Yep. All right, let's uh, recap the first five stocks plus stock of the day, which is Telstra following that uh, UBS upgrade. Um, Carl and Michael have Telstra as a whole. It's had a bit of um, uh, a recovery recently, so Carl's suggesting maybe take some profits. 
Uh, if it gets around 420, take a few more profits. Uh, Webjet, uh, a hold from both as well. Again, another one that's had a good run and Carl's not averse to taking some profits on Webjet at these levels as well. Uh, Index, a hold from Carl, sell from Michael. Uh, Rio, a hold from both. Uh, Michael likes it because of its, um, its copper exposure uh, and really bullish on the future of co- copper and um, in the copper space uh, like Samphire Resources. Uh, Magnus, a sell from Michael, a hold from Carl and a hold from both of them on block. Uh, Here on the call, we've been following our own um, fantasy investment um, portfolio as picked by the investment committee. And the July committee meeting is now up on the platform. And the investment committee decided that uh, to take their profits on Boss Energy and put Paladin in there to still give it some uranium exposure. Uh, Kelsian was out and LaVisa is in. I noticed LaVisa's had a good bounce in the last couple of days. So they're uh, actually the consensus of the investment committee was to nibble away at some of the retailers that have been absolutely decimated over the last few months. Um, on the assumption that the economy would have more of a soft landing than a hard landing. Let's see how the portfolio has been going. It's been, it's currently up 6%. At this half hour, we're going to be taking a look at Reliance Worldwide, uh, Carindale Property, uh, Melbana Energy, 29 Metals, and Leo Lithium. Uh, Tina Michael wants a view on Reliance Worldwide, the um, uh, basically the, the plumbing and, and water um, group, isn't it? That's right. And they've, you know, revolutionized the technology, I suppose, when it comes to that shark bite technology, which enables easy installation of the, the different piping and systems, just given the way that they interlock, for instance. Yep. Um, it's a company that has done very well over a long period of time. They've made a good fist of entering the US market and they are rolled out throughout a lot of the low stores overseas. They've also got a, a footprint in the UK and that part of the business has been very, very strong in the recent update. I think that came in a lot better than expected. Um, look, it's the big problem for, or the big thing to try and get your head around for Reliance is the outlook for the US housing market. So far to date, it's probably held up a lot better than most people were expecting. Um, there's also the issue around rising costs of inputs, things like you know your copper prices and, and input prices across all their products um, has also been a bit of a, a hindrance to their margins going forward. So look, from my standpoint, decent business, but it's a, a tough environment for them. Right. Just given the outlook for the housing market, the high inflation um, and the weakness potentially in the, the US consumer going forward. Okay, so... So I'm going to go a sell on this sell one. on yeah. Reliance. All but right. it's not a bad business. I know that's the five-year chart. If you go back longer than that, it was sort of yeah. parabolic. And but it's really been struggling since COVID. They had a bit of a boost up with that. And yep. Can we bring up the one-year chart again? Because it's quite interesting. In October, they put out a, a disappointing first quarter um, uh, result there for the first quarter of the, the financial year. Said they were going to cut costs, things like that. So that's where you saw that uh, sharp drop down there. Um, continued to trend down. And when I was looking at this uh, in preparation for the show, um, there was a lot of director buying in October, November 
and December at the lows there. Virtually everyone on the board bought stock at around that $3, $3.20 level. And in retrospect, you look at it, Carl, and you think, that's the beauty of following director transactions, isn't it? Because they disappointed the market um, and the director's basically buying at the bottom. They promised to cut costs. They said there'd be, be a turnaround. So they put their money where their mouth was and have done very nicely. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Never um, completely discount what the directors do. Now, I, I look every time I come on this show, Koshi, I, I download all the reports for the last twelve months. I didn't see that um, those announcements. I would have loved to have found them, but um, it was. I, I was. Uh, you should see the notes I keep for the show because director buying is one of the little bullet points I always have on every stock that we look at in the ten. Yeah. Um, and and it's 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 yeah. There was there is. Uh, I can't remember. There's one. There's some significant director selling when Mark. Talks next. I'll go find it if I haven't spoken about it. Look, we've probably digressed a little bit, but yeah. I think you're absolutely correct. I think it's something that viewers can quite easily do for companies they're interested in. Mm. It's, it's in the ASX announcements. You literally type in the three-letter yeah. code on the ASX website, and then scroll down, and there'll be announcements. And um, uh, what's the appendix? Is it the three Y? Uh, sometimes they're disguised as Appendix 3Y. Yep. Otherwise, they will say change in director shareholdings, okay, quite yep. specifically. And uh, it's the it's the on-market trade that you want to watch out for, okay, because often, gosh, let's face it, eight out of 10 of these announcements are something to do with uh, some options or participation in a share purchase plan or something like that. They're completely insignificant um, or dividend reinvestment. But it's the OMTs, the on-market trades you want to watch out for and look for when they're, when you know big numbers are transacted. Because the, that's when literally the, the, the director has gone, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, I'm going to go in and buy the stock. Yeah. Um, so very interesting you say that. And funnily enough, lo and behold, it turned around from there. Look, we started looking at it around about April, May, when it broke above its long-term downtrend zone, um, which had been in place literally for about 18 months. So we hadn't looked at it until then. Um, I did, in my Tuesday sessions, uh, we did uh, buy some. So we added around 380, 390. We added some more at 420. And then we got this inexplicable decline, not in line with any of the announcements on the 8th of June. So for viewers that like to follow the stuff mm -hmm. I do, which is candlesticks, go check out that 8th of June candle. It is a massive, massive black candle on elevated volume. And for us, we call those species ending events, Koshi, which doesn't ah. sound good, does it? So when we see that automatically, we have to take some off the table. Um, we might be more, so it's compulsory one third off the table. Some, some people will go two thirds and they'll retain a third. So I think that's where most of, most of my followers are right now. They've got a little bit of skin in the game because the trend has, the long-term trend has turned. And I'll tell you where the final um, lot will go. If it closes below 394, then that final third will go and we'll be out of it. In the meantime, it's a hold on the basis that you've already lightened. Okay, all right. And um, you go to those notices and, and it, it's a really interesting thing to point out to viewers if, if you don't go to these announcements because um, on the 22nd of June, Australian Super, one of the, uh, the biggest shareholders of, uh, of Reliance, uh, sold 8 million shares, 1% uh, of their holding. Uh, from 10, 10.9 to 9.9%. .9%. Um, around that time that it was, that you were pointing out then, Carl. So okay, well, that, that could have been that, that where, where, are you, where are you getting this stuff from, Koshi? I'm on the company's uh, own <laughs> website and it's not there. Uh, so it but, must be, they yeah. must have put it on the ASX site. Yes, they did. Tra and, oh, there you go. And that 25th of October last year was their, their sort of 
official announcement again. It's the amount of information available to investors is a, yeah. is enormous. If you're in these yeah. stocks, that's that's how to follow them. Yeah. Again, in my notes, I've got directed buying and I've got fund buying as well as another thing I look at. And again, it is publicly available information. So every time a fund who already owns more than 5% yep. makes a change, they, 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 they have to notify the ASX. So you can actually see when those big fund managers are buying. And it's a style of investment that I like to do because I say, look, I don't have a comparative advantage in doing the yep. fundamental analysis, right? I reckon I've got a comparative advantage over everybody in the market at reading charts, gosh, because I reckon I'm pretty good at it. But it's, as far as the fundamentals go, why not look at what these big fund managers are doing? Because you guarantee yeah. they, did, they did the homework before they made that move. Yep, yep. absolutely. All right, um, let's go on to our, our next stock, and it's Carindale <coughs> Property Trust. Michael Farrah wants a view on that. It um, has a 50% interest in Westfield's Carindale Shopping Centre in Brisbane southeast suburbs. So it's managed by its centre property management, which runs and, and owns all of the, uh, the Westfield shopping centres uh, here in Australia. So this is property trust that has half interest in just one. Yeah, so it was a bit a of a strange one. It? No, it's a bit of an odd one. It must be a, a pretty big centre. Um, they have, I think, broadened their exposure a little bit, taking over the neighbouring properties. One, I think, is an office building. Another one's a retail centre. Um, and I think, look, the key thing to look, with, look at with these property investments is the rental income. Yeah. Over the last 10 years, the rental income's been flat. And that might have been okay when interest rates are you know, 2% or whatever it may be. And retailers are shooting the lights out. And retailers shooting the lights out. However, we've had a a bit of a readjustment, not a bit of a readjustment, a a major readjustment in the the price of the risk-free asset being cash. And therefore, you really need to be getting a margin over the cash rate now for your yield on your property investment. So either that means your rental income is increasing or your property prices are falling. And in this instance, um, in the case of Cardinal Property, the, because the rental income has been flat, you've seen the share price correct lower to reflect what the market perceives to be the lower value of that asset. So look, for mine, I think I would always go for a bit more of a diversified offering uh, when looking oh. at property investments. Um, but you need to have pretty intimate knowledge of this particular center if you were going to yeah. go down that path and buy it. So I'm going to go a sell because really you need to have a much higher dividend yield to account for the higher rate of, of interest these days. And, and Centre Group owns 64% of it. Yeah, it's a bizarre so one. So if, if you want to get in to Red Isle Shopping Centres, you might as well just buy Centre, wouldn't you? That's uh, what I would To give you think. the diversified portfolio. That's what I would think as well, because yeah. this is a single asset, probably on a long-term lease. That way, if you've got a diversified portfolio of property investments, you've got different leases <laughs> maturing me. at different times, and therefore yeah. you're able to increase the value of those rents over time as yeah. well so okay. mm. carl any interest nah none at all <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly this is the worst uh, property trust you could buy yeah. um, i was on a, a few uh, i was on about a month ago and i called it uninvestable when i right. talked about it because there's no if it doesn't trade there's no volume plus and that's because s owns 64 percent of it and increasing um this it doesn't even have its own website because it's, it's got a sub page on s center's website i just don't get it um but 
the, the, the key to this probably is the yield. So on the face of it, if you look at it, uh, a 9.7% uh, unfranked yield. And I think a lot of um, maybe viewers who are just searching for that yield, and you know, you can probably probably got some software, you do a scan and you sort by yield and that comes up, oh, what a great yield. Um, and it was, it was 440 when I was on last time. I called it uninvestable. It's dropped uh, net of its dividend 7%. So right. you've lost 7% of your capital to get a 9% dividend. I just don't get it. So it's a, it's a okay. sell for me. All right. Let's move on to uh, Melbourne Energy, Carl. Alex wants a view on that. Um, oil, oil and gas um, explorer in Cuba and Australia. Yeah. That makes it a bit exotic. <laughs> yeah, a little bit exotic. Um, I don't know. We've just gone from one uninvestable company to another uninvestable right. company. <laughs> <I feel. laughs> Maybe this one's got more going for it. Yes, in Cuba. So the uh, Caribbean uh, plateau subsea, of course, they're drilling. They're trying to get uh, some gas out of it. Uh, and it's, it's very early stages. Um, they're just putting in a bunch of appraisal wells, is my understanding of it. I'm not a, an oil and gas engineer, Koshi, and that's where you know, my expertise stops. Uh, but what I could see, it's very early stages. They don't even have um, a, a, a resource, a compliant resource estimate yet. They've got um, some prospective resource estimates, but it's not the um, uh, the compliant one. So look, for, they're burning $4 million a year, roughly, to try and find whatever it is they're trying to find. They've got 37 million cash in the bank. So that's uh, one positive thing about it. You're probably not going to get tapped for more capital anytime soon. But it just looks like there's just um, there's just not enough going on okay. uh, and in this one for me. So uh, the chart is very, very flat. The chart's not necessarily sell, but I think there's, if you know, if you're going to have a punt, we all like to have a little punt on some of these little uh, mining companies. Certainly, my clients do. I just don't think this is the one. So on that basis, I'll go sell. Okay, uh, Michael, uninvestable. I'd never come across it before, and it seems pretty <laughs> complex as far as these sorts of investments go. Um, they seem to have a couple of interesting resources. They claim that the Beehive Prospect um, is potentially one of the largest undrilled resources or resources in Australia. Um, They've, yeah, all the figures that they're talking at the moment seem to be quite decent. However, they're all what they term probabilistic or probably, yeah. So they need to get some more concrete information out to the market, right. I think, before you can have any major confidence in this one. Obviously, the asset in Cuba um, adds another layer of uncertainty as well. So from my standpoint, okay. get your energy exposure elsewhere. All right. Um, all right. Lara wants to be on 29 metals. Um Copper fanboy, uh, Michael, yeah. <laughs> is it? you like Samphire Resources, you gave Copper a big rap. We were talking about Rio a bit earlier, 29 Metals, uh, focuses on on Copper and uh, but some precious metals as well. The Golden Grove in Western Australia, Copper Zinc, uh, Gold, Silver and Lead. Uh, what is it? Capricorn Copper in Queensland as well. Uh, mine in Chile. They've had a bit of bad luck, this company. Basically, they had some serious flooding earlier in the year, which ah. closed the Capricorn copper mine. Um, so they've basically been rushing ever since to try and get that all up and running. Ah, okay. They lost all their key infrastructure as well um, with that disaster. Um, they is, look, there is a bad ch- line. It wasn't just flooding the It flooding was the seriously mine bad luck. It was right. an underground mine as well, which obviously oh, adds issues around yeah. structural integrity and and getting it all reopened. They initially were looking to get it reopened beginning of next year. They've managed to, I think, look to get it open in the September, around September of this year. 
However, there have been obviously, like you would probably expect with a lot of these things, certain delays that come up from time to time. Uh, but they're dealing with a serious amount of flood water in that particular asset. Um, so, look, is it a good asset though? Is this because mm, uh, it's been smashed? Um, yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not a bad asset as far as copper in Australia goes, but they're better, put it that way. Right. They do have, as you touch upon, these other assets such as the the zinc um, at Golden Grove, which recently had a pretty good update and, and they had production numbers that came in above expectations. But I think their key asset is this Capricorn mine, right. and that's still a, some way off from being back into okay. production. Um, they also have used up a lot of cash. They've gone into a big debt facility to try and get this all rectified. So again, that's just a tough and unfortunate position to be in for the company. But okay. it's, uh, again, probably too complex at the <clears> moment. There could be further bad news to come if these delays keep happening. Okay. So, so sell for mine. Sell. I'll go, actually, I'm going to go hold. I'll go hold <laughs> if you want to be speculative and punt on the recovery <laughs> story coming through once they get everything well, back in order. Uh, before it's, the flooding, it looked as though it was going okay. It was going okay. It was going okay. The copper price was going very well at that point as well. Um, so look, it's a, mm, not okay. a decent. It's a decent proposition, but you've got to understand that the company is now relying on insurance payouts to get to recoup a lot of the money that they've spent okay. on getting this mine back into production. They've obviously worn down a lot of cash. They're in a lot a bit more debt. So if this doesn't sort of get fixed quicker and they don't get production happening sooner okay. than later, they could be in cash issues. All right, Carl, is it worth a pun? Oh, yeah, maybe. Uh, I think, that, look, just purely technicals here, the chart suggests the worst is behind it. Uh, but they are famous last words. It's not a buy. It's, it'll take that off the table for me, but it, I can certainly get to a hold. So I, I, I can only describe in a thousand words what I can see in the picture, but that big sell-off we had in May, uh, which was the last strategic update they had. So basically they said, look, we, we're going to, it's going to take longer than expected to reopen that mine. And when it does reopen, we're going to have significantly less production than we thought. Uh, so that was that last big sell-off there that took it down to sort of uh, 65 cents, but huge, huge volume turnover on that. So it's a bit of a changing of the guard from the last few people who are sort of keeping the faith to guess the new money coming in at this level, taking the punt that they will eventually turn around. What what was important from there is it actually stopped going down. It's actually had a few little um, upticks since there. So uh, 100% a hold, but it would, it's just so many other things need to happen on okay. the chart for me to call it a buy. All right. Leo, lithium is the final stock on the agenda today. And mm. uh, Ella wants a view on this, Carl, that um, has a lithium project in WA, one of your local... Uh, is it well, WA? It, 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 may, it, may, it may do, yes. But uh, the big one is in Mali, is uh, the Guadalamina right. project in Mali. Right. Uh, so that's that's what's getting all the attention at the moment. And they've had some, some massive, massive resource upgrades there. So if you've been watching the chart of this, it's Whoa. the one that's gone there. But there you go, there's the chart. Um, so uh, this is my most tweeted feature chart in 2023, Koshi, mm. for obvious reasons, right? If it's going up, I tweet it. Uh, and it's been going up. Uh, we have taken a little bit of profit off the table, though. Um, so I think most of the people who follow me, they probably have a third or two thirds of their holding, and they're happy, happy, happy to hold that remaining. But yeah. obviously, after taking some profit off the table, which pays for, yeah, uh, for your investment. Um, so yeah, look, I'll, I'll let Michael talk about the uh, the fundamentals of their big. It's a substantial project over there, but purely on the technicals, I will go a hold today, but on the basis that we've taken some off the table. Right. 
Michael? Yeah, so they've basically got this mine in Mali, 50-50 partnership with a, a company or a group called Gangfeng, uh, which is the world's largest lithium chemical producer. So they've obviously got a very good asset. They were targeting production early next year, uh, but they've managed, I think, to get their first production out and about at the moment. So yep. they've look, the market's known they've had a very good asset for some time, but to always see companies deliver um, always gets a lot of excitement happening. Um, there's very little else to add, really, um, in that it's well-capitalized, very high-quality project. Um, the long-term outlook for lithium, you know, everyone's sort of got their views on that, but there does seem to be some potential, <laughs> put it that way. We saw some recent activity happening with, with Alchem as well. So yeah, look, it's not it's not a business we were invested in, unfortunately, um, in retrospect. <laughs> I wish we were. Yep, yep. Okay, but, so um, what would I'm, you I'm make? happy to go. I'll go a sell probably at the moment, take a bit off the table, but I wouldn't sell right. the whole amount. So take profits um, as well. It does look like there's a lot of optimism embedded in that price. Okay. All right. You've got to be following Carl on Twitter. I know, I've got to get on Twitter. I do. I've, I've yeah, got so yeah. slack on Twitter. He is, long -term he is well, I only follow a few. I've cut down yeah. who I follow because there's just too much noise on Twitter. Carl is one I certainly do follow. Um, all right, let's uh, recap the final five stocks. Uh, Reliance, a hold from Carl, sell from Michael. Uh, Carindale Shopping Centre uh, or Property Group, um, a sell from both um, Carl thinks it's uninvestable, uh, as he thinks is Melbana, um, which both have a sell on that. Uh, 29 metals are hold on both. Leo Lithium takes some profits on uh, from both Carl and Michael. Uh, Carl Capolinga, great to have you on board, sir. Thank you. Uh, oh, again, it's a pleasure. What, Thanks for what, having me What's your board. Twitter handle again, just for those people? Uh, just at... Carl Capolingua. Okay. Yep. Uh, and and uh, yeah, a daily, put out my daily short list and, and feature charts of the charts I think look the best on the ASICs every day. Thanks for the plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no. You come up with the, the charts. Although, on if you do follow Twitter on your mobile, it, the charts are a bit annoying. So you've got to go oh, yeah. on a bigger screen, yes. sort of do it on your iPad or your desktop if you want, want to see them properly. All right, mate, thank yep. you for that. Michael Wayne, always great to Thanks, see you. Thanks, Koshy. Carl, you've gained a new follower. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on there this afternoon. Uh, now, if you've uh, got uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover here, uh, go to wasbiz.com slash callpicks or tweet us using the at TV handle, and uh, I will then put those stocks to our expert panels every day. Uh, see you same time tomorrow from midday, Eastern, day, Eastern Standard Time rather, for another edition of The Call. Uh, the Pulse is coming up next. Don't go away. You're watching AusBiz live from our Brangaroo studios.